I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. I'm John Patrick Higgins. These are my strange stories. Why not relax, kick off your shoes, and enjoy the peculiar worlds inside my head? Inside John Patrick Higgins. Count Backwards Udo von Egerhartsey, Count Backfirst was shaving, and he was making a pretty good fist of it. Exploring his chin with his fingertips, the blade trailing closely behind, he could probably get a better shave than someone who wasn't differently reflective. But ouch, there in that hard-to-reach area beneath the jawbone, he'd nicked himself, and a black tear squeezed from the gash, like a fat man disembarking a small car. He hated cutting himself as his blood looked terrible. It had been dead for centuries and it circulated his system like a listless soup, settling dark and heavy in his bruise-coloured buttocks if he sat down for more than twenty minutes. He kept busy. The Count dried his hair and combed it back from his widow's peak. He brushed his fangs gently, rinsing them with an antibacterial mouthwash. He also flossed. He now looked after his teeth after leaving a filling in a particularly chewy software analyst. He dressed quickly and turned on the television to see what was happening in the world outside. It was summer, and it was a bore. Those lazy days spent shifting restlessly in his coffin while the sun dragged its heels towards the horizon. As the television babbled, he slumped on his sofa, feeling wretched. He had been sleeping badly for decades, and these days he spent more time in front of the box than in it. He flicked idly through the channels. An American man with white hair and a brick-dust tan was very angry about some orphans at the city hospital. Click. An Irishman with a nervous sniff was presenting a retired post office worker with a mug tree. Click. Melissa Gilbert was reconciling with the sister she never knew. He turned off the TV. Twilight was a grey area for vampires. When was it safe to go out?
Nobody told you. There were no rule books. You had to play it by ear. The entire conversion from mortal to immortal was akin to a nasty mugging that left you with a penchant for black clothes and white heaving bosoms. Nobody stuck around to tell you what to do. That was one of the reasons why the vampire community, and that was a very loose term, was so fractious and partisan. When some bastard rips out your gullet and leaves you for dead on the street, you're going to want to find out who it was. Grudges and vendettas went on for centuries, aided by the fact that while it was not particularly difficult to kill a vampire, it was also a piece of piss to bring one back to life again. A couple of disciples, a headless chicken and a busty blonde, and there you were, springing forth, fully formed and ready to wreak vengeance. Black candles in a desecrated church were just set dressing. The Count turned the computer on. He logged into Fallfang, a vampire discussion website he visited for grooming purposes. The site was dedicated to the interests of anguished teenage existentialists and contained poorly spelt rants on everything from body modification to body image, from animal rights to vegetarian cooking, the sliver-like spectrum of adolescent concerns. The Count was really feeling his ears. There was quite a lot of awful poetry. And of course there was a lot of interest in vampires. Thank heavens for little goths, he thought. There's a bloodsucker born every minute. He had been contacted by a girl named Hlathgoth. It means necklace-adorned warrior maiden, she had informed him. It sounded to the Count like a particularly ugly sneeze. This new message was to confirm that she would meet him for a drink that evening. She also been confessed to being slightly apprehensive because the photo she had sent him was two years old and she had recently put on some weight. She finished the sentence with a colon and a left bracket to indicate that this made her sad. Udo was sadder. The girls he liked, the girls who were the most nourishing, were strong, healthy fraulines with long, tanned necks ripe for sucking. The ones he got nowadays were disappointed and lonely. They had poor body image and poorer skin. When he got down to the mechanics of eating people, surely it was better to eat healthy, free-range ones from the country. They were higher welfare. These townies tasted of brick dust and low self-esteem. Still, a meal was a meal, and he was hungry now. The pangs had started. Approaching the window, he pressed gingerly on the blind. It was dark enough, finally. The puddles on the North London pavements were rainbow-coloured in the car headlights. The night was bathed in the street lamp's soft glow. London was a chocolate orange. He was really very hungry. By the time he reached the pub, he was hair-ride and sweating, a pentangle of elbows and knees. It had started to rain and he had left the flat without an umbrella. Ducking beneath a newsagent's awning, a few drops of rain had caught the back of his hand and burned him. It was ridiculous. Vampires were unable to cross moving water, but that wasn't moving water, it was water moving. He began to wonder how much of this vampire lore was psychosomatic. He was certain he'd been lashed to a mast under a tumult of sea spray in the past. He would have looked magnificent. 
but he could no longer remember whether he'd been dead or alive at the time. He must have been dead, because nobody would have dared lash him to anything while he'd been alive. But he had lived and died so many times it was impossible to keep track. He'd been deliciously absent for centuries at a time, alone and at peace in the soft, quiet earth. And then some West London poseur in a black fedora sprinkles a bit of blood on his ashes, declaiming obscenities from a desecrated pulpit, and there he was, back in the land of the living. He had been reborn twenty times in the last five hundred years, and his first few each time had been exactly the same, some hapless decadent scurrying for cover. He sighed at the memory and flattened his hair. The pub's bouncer looked him up and down and gave him the nod. Udo entered the pub and saw immediately that Hlathgoth was there. She was the only goth in the room. She looked exactly as he expected, short and round-shouldered, with henna-red hair and a pint of Guinness. She was wearing wire-framed glasses and he guessed she was in her early thirties, though he could never be sure of people's ages any more. He ducked out of sight and into the path of a woman with an unnatural tan and a tumbler of vodka and tonic, which he spilled over his jacket. "'Watch yourself!' she exclaimed. "'Fuck's sake!' He acted as if nothing had happened, a cat writing itself after a fall. It was too late. All eyes were on him. "'I do apologise, he said. "'My fault entirely. "'Can I possibly buy you another drink?' He held her with a glittering eye. Her boyfriend appeared. "'You all right, Soph?' he asked, a hand sneaking round her hip. "'Yeah, fine,' she replied, unruffled. "'He just walked into me.' "'You want to look where you're going, mate?' the boy grunted. Udo looked him in the eye. There wasn't much going on. He was tall and appeared to be wearing about three different haircuts, stacked one on top of the other like pancakes. His ankles were bare and his collars were popped. I apologise to the lady and offered to buy her a drink, said Udo. I believe I came off worse in the fracas. Now if you'll let me go to the bar, I will replace the spilled beverage. The youth rounded on him noticed something terrible about his eyes, and relented. Udo went to the bar, bought a vodka and tonic for the girl, a glass of house red for himself, and a pint of pissy lager for the boy. There, he said, no hard feelings. I trust we are all friends again. The girl looked momentarily anxious, took the drink with a half-smile and scuttled off, the boy accepted the lager, stared bullishly at Udo for a moment, and swaggered away. Fucking fracor, he added as a parting shot. Udo imagined sucking the boy's brains out through his nostrils and spitting them over his still-living face. Then he turned to Hlathgath, who was by now very aware that this was her date. Hello, sorry about that, he said. You must be Hlathgath. He offered his hand, but surprised to find there was still a glass of red wine in it, obliged her instead with a stiff, formal bow. She looked him up and down. He was tall and thin, immaculately thin. 
She suddenly felt her weight and folded her arms in front of her. His white skin was dazzling and his large black eyes were unavoidable. She made a sudden effort to avoid them. Udo made small talk, pushing his drink around the table in a figure of eight. Flathguff drank nervously from her Guinness, and when she had finished one pint, he brought her another. "'Why aren't you drinking?' she asked, as his untouched glass looped the loop in front of her. Udo raised an eyebrow and intoned, "'I do not drink wine.'" Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The line settled like a snowflake. Clathguff burst out laughing. Guinness frothing from her nostrils as she erupted into a five-minute coughing jag, emerging damp-eyed and flushed, the vampire patting her back and grinning at concerned onlookers. Are you all right? he asked, proffering a monogrammed handkerchief. Claire, she sputtered. My name's Claire. Ian, said Udo. Her cheeks were flushed a hot pink and the vampire's stomach rumbled audibly. Have you eaten? said Claire. Or do you not eat food? It's a school of thought, Claire, said Udo. I'm a vegan. The goth looked impressed. Claire was naturally chatty and Udo was content to interject with a knowing look or grunt at appropriate moments in the monologue, usually when she drew breath or stopped to throw back more Guinness. She had done a history of art degree, a waste of time. She was a psychiatric nurse and liked cats and the cure. She'd had mental health issues and had cut herself in the past and she had no idea why she was telling him all this. She was funny her life had been hard, but she had persevered. She smiled easily and often, but her resting face was anxious, and she twisted her bangles around her arm without realising she was doing it. Her tattoos were rubbish, but they all had a story. It was around that time that, despite the gnawing hunger in the pit of his stomach, Udo knew that he wasn't going to eat her, and he began to sit at his wine. 
Sorry, Ian, said Claire. I haven't half been gassing on. I don't know a single thing about you. She leaned forward, her pink chin resting on her wrist, bangles coiling in the fold of her elbow. Her pupils were dilated and Udo could smell that she had begun to sweat. He could hear the quickening of her pulse like a throb in his own temple. He took another slug of the wine. It was bitter and burned his throat, but he continued to drink as he told his story. His family had moved to London from abroad in the early 80s. Where abroad? Just abroad. Okay. He liked animals, but he had never had a pet. I don't believe in them. He also liked Eric Sarty, Marlboro Reds and 90s erotic thrillers. You're joking. No, I really like them. They have a lot of heart. And he was going to the bar. Did she want anything? By the time he reached the bar, he was practically hyperventilating. The combination of alcohol sloshing through his system and the necessity of sustained invention made his head swim and his stomach churn. His teeth felt like rubber, his legs the points of a compass spinning wildly out of his control. He grabbed at the bar like a man clutching at a life raft. There was a poke at his back. It was Popped Collar Boy. You look munted, mate, he said. Mind you, I'm not surprised. I've seen who you're with. The boy moved in closer, his breath a vapour of hot continental lager. Well, look at it. It's not nice, is it? Udo turned, fangs bared, his eyes black and soulless, dark mirrors of centuries of pain and suffering, a lifeless abyss of misery and dislocation. The boy dropped his pint, and then he dropped a thickening slick of urine down his inner thigh. Two muttering bouncers escorted him carelessly from the premises, Soph clacking uselessly after him. Udo returned to his seat, where he wavered in his resolution not to eat Claire for the rest of the evening. As the alcohol seemed to soften his insides, as his head began to swim, the thought of all that untapped blood sploshing around in front of him was tantalising. There were times during her lengthy monologue that he found himself staring helplessly at her soft white neck. It shivered seductively as she told him the story of her life. On her first day at work, a patient named Jim had bitten her on the nose. Wobble. Her last boyfriend had dumped her by text. Wobble. Big wobble. The flesh lapping at her collar like waves over shingle. Udo licked his lips and tried to focus. He decided he'd had enough wine. Then he bought some more. The burning sensation from the thin, acid liquid was dying down and Udo was even deriving a modicum of pleasure from it. At least it was novel. He looked around, grinning wildly, suddenly aware that his nose was almost touching the table. A beer mat momentarily stuck to his forehead. Are you okay, Ian? asked Claire. I'm fine, said Udo. I skip lunch. I think the wine is going to my head. I don't normally drink wine. Yes, you mentioned it. Still, you've only had two glasses. That's quite spectacularly wussy. Claire sighed. Oh, well, he couldn't be perfect. Good-looking and charming, so he couldn't take his drink. 
He said he didn't drink, and he certainly wasn't lying. It was a good thing. Come on, I think you'd better be getting home. She stood up and put her coat on, threw a bag over her shoulder, and lifted him easily out of his chair, walking him to the door in careful, measured steps. Outside the rain had stopped and the air was crisp and fresh. There was a light breeze and the trees shivered. There was nobody about and the side streets were consumed by blackness. Udo snaked an arm around Claire's shoulders. Right in, I'm going to have to be going now. Uh, are you sure you're going to be all right? They stumbled into a side street next to a small open park fringed with trees. The nearest street lamp was out but they were partially illuminated by the living rooms of the houses opposite. A distant car stereo was briefly audible. Udo's eyes shone in the semi-darkness. Listen, it was really, actually quite nice meeting you, said Claire, ignoring the rash of goosebumps prickling her skin. It's not often I meet someone that I feel I can talk to. A light across the street was snuffed out as somebody went to bed, Shadows seemed to swarm over Udo's hollow face until only the gleaming eyes remained. Are you okay? said Claire. I'm very, very good, said Udo. His voice sounded strange, stilted. Claire shivered. Well, if you're sure, anyway, um, I, I thought we had a good time and I'd like to see you again if you want. Um... I promise to let you get a word in edgewise next time, uh, if you promise to stick to one glass of wine. She gave an involuntary yip of laughter. What do you think? Udo turned into the half-lights and Claire could see the sickly pallor of his skin, the terrible blackness of his eyes, as if the night were shining through him. His hands grasped her shoulders. He suddenly seemed very strong. Claire, he said, do you know why I asked you out tonight? Why I wouldn't meet you with your friends? Why I had to meet you alone? Social inadequacy, she squeaked, realising finally that her body had been telling her she was scared for the past five minutes. No, said Udo. His voice was lower now and she could no longer see his eyes, but was aware of their blackness penetrating her, rooting her to the spot. The hands on her shoulders seemed to be holding her up. The reason I had to get you on your own was so I could find an isolated spot like this, away from witnesses, and rip open the soft flesh of your throat and drink your blood until I was satisfied. I, said Claire, all evening I have sat there listening to you talk, waiting for the moment when I could plunge my teeth into you. Then I would walk away as bloated as a tick, feeling changed, however briefly, from the cold, dead thing I have become. Oh, said Claire, but a strange thing has happened, Claire. As I listened to you waffling on, all the humdrum mediocrities of your little life, 
I felt something I hadn't felt in centuries. I had a window into what it was like to be human again. And I started to remember my own life as a man and how it was so small and cramped and full of feeling. And I thought I wouldn't kill you, Claire. You're kind and funny and you do such little harm. I want to keep you in the world because I learned something from you tonight, Claire. I'm going to listen in future. I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt. And if they prove to be good and decent people, I'm going to let them live. And maybe in the long term I'll starve and put an end to my miserable existence. But I doubt it, Claire. I very much doubt it. I live in North London. There was the sound of a scream and the sound of footsteps clattering in the darkness. A bedroom light across the road snapped on. A man at the window stared down and saw a small figure dressed in black standing alone in the street outside. Then he drew the curtains and went off to brush his teeth. Udo attempted to cling to the shadows while pinballing between walls and lampposts. The chill evening air had exacerbated the effects of the alcohol and his head was still swimming from his epiphany. He had let her go. He had given her the gift of life. She was free and so was he. He had denied his imperative. He had made a choice. He had redefined his raison d'etre. He was no longer a killer, a monster, a taker of lives. He was a moral animal. As he wheeled around the pavement on his journey home, the wind murmuring in the trees overhead, the soft, milky moon crisping the edges of the shadows, he felt good. He vomited, the wine hitting the pavement with a slap. He bucked with the ferocity of the action, his body racked with convulsions as wine and bile poured out of him. He sank to his knees over the widening pool, drooling long strings of saliva as fingers of puke explored the uneven surface of the pavement. Udo looked up, his chin wet with spittle. A single malnourished pigeon had alighted from nearby guttering and bobbed toward him. Then, ignoring the vampire completely, it set about jabbing at the steaming slick. Udo stared vacantly at the bird for a moment, and then, in one impossibly quick, impossibly clean movement, he snatched it up and buried his face in it, his long fans ripping through feathers and flesh and releasing an arc of warm, gushing blood. The pigeon made no sound. It was late the next evening when Udo von Egerhartzi finally emerged from his coffin. His mouth was dry, his vision blurred, and his head throbbed. What was in that pigeon? He staggered towards the fridge for restorative Taipei. Jumbled images of the previous night tumbled into sequence like fat acrobats. There was the girl, the wine the skewed moral stance, and the huge gap where his memory of returning home should have been. He resolved not to hunt that night. He needed a bath and Five had a Shannon Weary film on. He soaked in the tub, occasionally massaging his mottled buttocks, 
luxuriating in the warmth of the water. He felt as if he had sloughed off a dense and ugly skin. He was changed. He knew it. Things would be different now. He would rid the world of evil by eating it. He would be a maggot on the festering sore of humanity, feasting on the corrupt and allowing the innocent to heal and become strong. He smiled and sank under the water. Later, he checked his emails. There was a new message from Claire in his inbox. All hail the Dark Master. I am your willing vessel. Feast upon my blood. I would walk with you in eternity, it said. He sighed and turned the computer off. Inside John Patrick Higgins was brought to you by the colour blue and the letter G. Written and performed by John Patrick Higgins, it was produced and edited by Graham Watson. Thank you.